You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Muscle is the driving force of all movement in the human body. But what is this illustrious tissue that we call muscle? What is its real function? Well, on the surface, again, it's moving us through the world. It's helping us to do all the dynamic things that we want to do. But muscle is also, and we're talking specifically about skeletal muscle because our heart is a form of muscle as well. But skeletal muscle is the largest depot in our body for glucose disposal. So it's the primary tissue that's enabling us to have healthy blood sugar and to actually do something with the foods that we're consuming. Muscle is one of the primary organs when we're talking about proteins and carbohydrates and our diet construct. A lot of that has to do with how we're feeding our muscles. And the latest data is affirming that our muscles are actually a reservoir for anti-aging hormones and compounds that help to keep us vibrant and youthful. And so the more muscle that we have, the healthier we're going to tend to be, especially as we get into our later years. And so the key here is, yes, muscle can help us to look good. All right. Muscle is one of those things that's going to help us to have a more attractive, what we deem to be more attractive body composition in our culture. But here's the rub. There's a difference in the types of muscles that we can create. Now, we can create a bunch of muscles and create imbalances. For example, when I was a kid trying to get fit for football, I don't know how it happened, but I got my mom to invest in a leg extension chair that we had in the basement. So I had this janky home bench press, all right, which should not be fit for human use, but we were down there bench pressing and we couldn't even, because I was strong, we were putting all the weights in the house on the side of that bar. And I remember my auntie Janet came over one day and I went to show her how much I was benching and she was scared out of her mind seeing me, probably not just because of the weights, but because of how janky this bench press setup was. But I got my mom to get me a leg extension chair. And so I'm because I've got it, I'm knocking out these leg extensions. And of course I'm doing all my other football training, doing sprints and stuff like that, doing my bench press. But I'm so front body heavy now. I'm doing bench presses. We don't have a pull-up bar or a lat pull down. And I'm doing a leg extension, so my quads are getting all of this attention, but what about my hamstrings? And so because of these imbalances, I had things like consistent hamstring pulls, right? And I'm just wondering what's going on. I'm training the quads and I'm creating these muscle imbalances. So, and you might've seen some people like that, you know, they're doing all of the kind of spectator muscles that you could see yourself and they're walking around, they're kind of kyphotic, hunched over, kind of swole in the front, you know, but we need to make sure that we're training our bodies so that we have equilibrium and balance and grace and complete function. That is the key. And that's what this episode is dedicated to. How can we actually create a body and a level of fitness where we are functional for the rest of our lives? And to do that, you're going to hear from, I'm talking about the top experts in the world in their respective fields and how to actually achieve this. And not only that, we're looking at the demographics, the age brackets that they're at and taking that into consideration because you're gonna hear from somebody who is in their 30s, another person in their 40s, another couple who are in their 50s, another individual who is in his 70s and who's crushing it 
his level of fitness is that of somebody who is in their 20s and 30s. He's running, literally running circles around people. All right. And so you get to hear practicality. This stuff really works. This stuff really holds true because these individuals are demonstrating that. And so I'm very, very excited about this. And again, this is one of those episodes that changes the way that we do things for the rest of our lives. And we just see those kind of automated, automatic benefits by implementing some of the things that we are going to be covering today. Now, before we get to our first expert, you have to understand that when building muscle, we're talking about a simple act that is incredibly complex. And that simple act is muscle contraction, muscle contraction and muscle relaxation. And that act is the driving force for building new tissue. But underneath the surface, the very essence of being able to do that simple act requires a conglomeration of different nutrients. But there are some nutrients that are far more important than others. And one of those nutrients, well, just a couple of them actually, but one primary that you need to know about is the role of magnesium. Magnesium makes it possible to relax our muscles as a primary aspect of it. So we can't contract and relax our muscles without magnesium being present. And even more importantly, the energy to be able to do that is derived from the action of magnesium. ATP is well regarded as, quote, the energy currency of our bodies. That's what I was taught in my university classes. What I was not taught and what my professors did not know is that the active form of ATP is when it's bound with magnesium. Magnesium is required to make this energy currency actually able to exchange for gifts and services. All right, so magnesium has to be present for the magic of life and movement to happen. It is that important. And coincidentally, magnesium is also one of the biggest nutrient deficiencies in modern society. It's estimated that 50 to 60% of American adults are deficient in magnesium on a regular basis. And so if we're talking about training and getting the most from what we're doing, but just having energy overall, magnesium is a key electrolyte, which is a mineral that carries an electric charge that enables movement in life to happen. Another couple that are critical, especially if we're talking about performance and movement, are sodium and potassium, but the ratio of those things matter immensely. And the one company that has hundreds of thousands of data points, and they're actually fueling the bodies of so many different professional sports teams now, it's crazy. It's crazy how quickly they are just taking over because they're getting away from all this ridiculous added sugar, these artificial colors, and all this stuff that's actually causing harm to our bodies, to our kids, to our athletes. And in place of that old age stuff, I'm not even gonna bring up their names, in place of that stuff, we're now seeing the emergence of Element. Go to Drink L-M-N-T. That's Drink Element, drinklmnt.com forward slash model. And they're going to send you a free gift pack with every purchase of their incredible electrolytes. Now, when I'm training, this is real talk, you're usually gonna find Element is in my water bottle, all right? I just noticed the difference. It's it's just, it, it works and it's the real deal. And again, we're avoiding all the unnecessary sugars, artificial colors, and all the unnecessary stuff and providing, again, using real world data points from hundreds of thousands of different data points from countless individuals. What is the right ratio? What is the optimal ratio for the vast majority of people to fuel their bodies to fuel their cognitive function their performance and so much more check them out go to drink 
lmnt.com forward slash model and get hooked up with that free gift with every purchase. And now let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled Game Changer for a Firefighter by KROCK400. Sean's show was suggested to me by a close friend. Ever since I have been addicted, my wife has now joined me in listening to your show. You and your guests have played such a pivotal part in rebuilding and rebranding myself. Your knowledge and research on food, gut health, macronutrients, vitamins, and minerals are priceless. It has helped improve my energy levels, my attitude, and my relationship with my family. Thank you for who you are and what you do. I am so grateful and thankful for the Model Health Show. That gave me chills. Thank you so much for sharing that. Rebuilding and rebranding yourself. And that's remarkable because that's what's, what it's really all about. It isn't just the, the rebuilding process. It's also reorienting and perceiving ourselves in a different way, perceiving the world around us, our impact, our family, all these different things. And so, wow, thank you so much for sharing that over on Apple Podcasts. And listen, if you've yet to do so, please pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for the Model Health Show. It means so much. And without further ado, let's get into this powerful compilation on real-world functional fitness. And we're going to kick things off with somebody who is a true legend. And I don't use that word lightly. And many of the things that are happening in the world of nutrition and fitness right now, he's been about this and teaching on these subjects for years, for decades. And I'm talking about New York Times bestselling author and the founder of Mark's Daily Apple and the Primal Blueprint, the one and only Mark Sisson. Now, Mark has just crossed that threshold of being in his 70s, and he is one of the fittest people that you're, you'll ever meet. And also, again, when his peers, oftentimes the majority of his peers in modern society here in the United States, are in a place where cognitive decline is the norm, where there's enormous loss of functionality and muscle tissue and the ability to perform and move through life and to do the things that we want to do, Mark is demonstrating that there is an entirely different way, an entirely different model that we can utilize for healthy aging. And in this segment, he's going to be sharing his blueprint for long-term fitness and why it literally starts from the ground up with our feet. Functional feet is a huge key. And you're also going to hear his insights on the importance of utilizing our fast twitch muscle fibers, especially as we move into higher age brackets. Check out this segment from the amazing Mark Sisson. Our ability to move, our, our mobility, our ability to, to uh, cross the room, cross the state, cross the country, uh, go around the world and experience experiences uh, are what make give life a tremendous amount of, of quality. Um, all of the movement that we do in the gym sort of is based around around foot health. All of the things that we do, walking and hiking and playing sports, it's all based around foot health. It's all based around uh, how strong your feet are as a foundation and then how that translate, how the information, look, uh, we evolved barefoot and, and we spent two and a half million years as bipedal barefoot creatures um, with a, uh, this organ that senses changes in terrain and immediately feeds information to the brain on how to flex the ankle, how to bend the knee, how to torque the hip, how to um, 
how to absorb shock on a downhill. All of this information, uh, the brain is is ready, willing, and able as a processor to to distribute throughout the body. And and then here we are wearing thick shoes that that negate all of the sensory information, and we wear these thick shoes in the in the name of uh, they're you know they're they're more comfortable, they're cushiony, they're whatever. Um, or we have uh, high arches in our shoes because uh, somebody said a while back, well I guess I guess we should support the arch because some people have collapsed arches. Well, most people who ha- who have bad arches have arches because they haven't worked those muscles of the feet. So proprioception again is 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 that ability that you have to sense changes in 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 ground underneath you and to be able to um, uh, adapt to uh, changes not just in surface but in um, in elevation uh, so you know you you think about that person we talked about the iconic trip in the middle of the night kind of person typically their feet are not very strong and so they've been They've, they've become atrophied to the point, I hate to use the term, but they're like stumps. They're literally like you're, like you're, you're activating knees and the calf, but the feet are just like stumps that you're like, like, like walking on. And you want them to be grabbing the ground. You literally want toes to be able to, to grab the ground. If you've ever surfed, um, uh, you know, your feet can, can control the surfboard by, by literally gripping the top of the board. That's why they wax the board sometimes all the time. Um, that's why you don't see reindeer surfing. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we got hooves out here. That's yeah, what yeah. we're doing to ourselves. No, exactly. So, so the proprioception is, again, it's this thing that we've, this, that we're all, you know, we, we have this recipe within us to be able to take advantage of this and we lose it. We just sort of bypass it and think, well, in the interest of, uh, I, like a lot of people have bunions. Well, the bunions are a problem from, from two restrictive shoes, from shoes that are being, feet that are being, toes that are being scrunched together. Now you get bunions. And then you think, well, now I have to have comfortable shoes because my bunions hurt. So I'm going to get big, thick, you know, uh, wide toe box, uh, cushiony shoes. And all that does is sort of exacerbate the issue. I wrote 20 years ago, uh, I described the primal blueprint and the 10 primal blueprint laws. And one of one of the, the exercise hierarchy was move around a lot at a low level of activity. What that means is walk. Walk or hike or ride a bike. or But but walking counts just as much as anything else. And walking is not about burning calories. It's about the movement. It's about using your feet to to cover different uh, planes and ranges of motion and terrains and to and to let the feet inform the rest of the body how to, again, how to, how to flex the ankle, how to bend the knee, how to torque the hip. Uh, how to adjust for the eccentric motion of of braking. So move around a lot at a low level of activity. What does that look like? It looks like five hours a week, right? Um, may sound like a lot to some people. Well, I can't run five hours a week. Don't walk a half hour someday, an hour another day. Ride a bike a little bit. Five hours, get, you you can get that in. Um, go to the gym twice a week. Now when I say go to the gym, if your if your jam is uh, bodyweight exercises at uh, at the local park where they have a parkour or they have a swing set set up or whatever. But go to the gym twice a week and what we call lift heavy things. Lift heavy things twice a week and not two days in a row because you want to get time in between to build the muscle, recover, get stronger as a result of having done that. So a couple of days in between. So at least twice a week. Some people are, are going to go to the gym four times a week. 
Okay, if you can handle that, fine. But my minimum strategy, again, move around a lot at a low level of activity, lift heavy things twice a week and sprint once a week. Why sprint? Well, again, if we're we're calling upon our ancestral recipe, our uh, ancestors uh, had to either run for their lives once in a while, uh, either to get away from something that was gonna kill them or to run towards something that they needed to eat and and get the heart rate up to a max level. Um, and again, not not a lot. I mean, uh, I'm going to say four to eight sets of 30 seconds is plenty. And people find that it's the it's one of the most productive workouts they'll do. And you don't have to like give minimal rest in between. You could rest a minute, two minutes, three minutes in between. But once a week, sprint. I use the term uh, generically and broadly. Uh, sprinting for most people, they think you know, um, on a track. But sprinting for me would be the assault bike, right, at the gym, or the Versa climber at the gym, or the, uh, the even on the treadmill, walking really hard up a 15 degree incline, you know, or the elliptical, uh, there's or the swimming pool, or there's so many ways that the idea isn't to sprint like Usain Bolt. The idea is to do whatever it is using as many body parts as possible to get the heart rate up yeah. to the highest you can get it for 20, 30, 40 seconds. It's so funny because again, I saw something uh, Huberman Lab did this the other day. He he made a big deal about this new revelation that we have to do something that get, elevates our heart once a week for sixty seconds. I'm like, dude, I've been talking about that for twenty years. It's and and I'm not the only one. Humanity's been talking about that for two million years. So, but you, we talked early on about you know where we headed as a society and AI and virtual worlds and all this stuff. And you know, if we just go back and look at what nature. How, how we were, how we evolved through this crucible of scarcity and harsh climate, our genes still expect that of yeah. us in order to thrive, in order to be the best that we can be. So if you can sprint once a week, just like your ancestors had to sprint, if you can go to the gym uh, twice a week and lift heavy things, or go to the park and do your body weight exercise, or whatever. And if you can move around as much as you can throughout the day at a low level of activity without ever paying attention to the amount of calories you burned or the steps, please, steps, um, just the time, you know, um, you are 85% of your way to being as fit as you could be. All right, I hope that you enjoyed that first segment. Next up in our compilation of world-leading experts on functional fitness. You're gonna be hearing from somebody who is one of the leading coaches on the planet right now, super in demand. He's also an elite level power lifter. He has exceeded in the world of natural bodybuilding. He's a high level jujitsu competitor. The list goes on and on with all of his physical accolades, but he's also an incredible teacher. I'm talking about Insima Inyang. And Insima is one of those people that's just really on the cutting edge and he's somebody who's constantly learning and applying and he's found out how do we parlay or pivot into these different domains, right? So being somebody who's carrying a lot of muscle on his frame, how can he move effectively competing in jujitsu, right? Where's the translation? Because a lot of folks struggle when they're putting on muscle to remain flexible and functional and to be able to use that muscle at a high level. And so you might be surprised to hear this, but in this segment, he's gonna share more insights into the foundation of our fitness, which is our feet. But 
most importantly, he's going to talk about how to actually improve the form and function of our feet to do all the dynamic things that we want to do with the rest of our bodies. Check out this segment from the incredible Encima Nyang. I realized, I'm like, wow, number one, if I had something that I could wear that was allowing my feet to do what they needed to do, I probably could have kept playing soccer. But number two, the amount that's missed because people are wearing the wrong footwear and not actually using their feet. There's a lot of shoes that are great. They're comfortable. They're marketed to, to feel like you're walking on clouds, you know, take out that uh, uh, super comfortable shoes. But the feet aren't getting the work they need to get. This is the first contact that you have with the ground every single morning. You're, when you're walking, when you're running, you're sending uh, shocks up your body, forces that your body then needs to handle. But if your foot is weak and not able to handle those forces in the way that they need to handle them, that pain will go to your knee, that pain will go to your lower back, that pain could go all the way to your neck and, and your head. And then you end up with individuals with really bad gaits, gait meaning your walking cycle, like their feet are pointed outwards. There's a lot of imbalances that can happen in the muscles, but mm. it a lot of that starts with the feet. Now, the problem here is that like, well, how do I fix that? A simple way is to start walking barefoot, and that's good, that's gonna be beneficial, but not everyone wants to walk around with black feet everywhere, right? Black bottom and toes. Um, <laughs> got those new black bottoms. Got those new black bottoms. But there's tons of shoes out there, and, and actually it's it's interesting because barefoot shoes had a really, uh, they had a surge in like 2011, 2012. I don't know if you remember like with Vibrams and, yeah. and those types of shoes. Five fingers. Five fingers. Yeah. But then there was someone that made a book called Ready to Run. It wasn't Kelly Stredd, it was somebody else. And after people started doing barefoot run, running, they start getting all these sorts of injuries and everyone was like, okay, this is not actually good for people. It died down. The reason why it was rough for people is because people didn't give themselves a gradual entry into wearing barefoot shoes or doing barefoot activity. All right. You're now going from wearing a cushiony shoe to wearing a shoe with no drop, meaning flat. So now your feet are taking all these forces that they yeah. are not used to taking mm. and they are not happy. <laughs> You know, underneath your feet, it hurts. It's painful. It's like, God, this is this is this is wild. But this is the thing: your feet are getting stronger, and they're getting adapted to now the new forces you're putting through them. And then over time, they'll get better. But it's just like starting to go to the gym or building any new activity. You need to give yourself a gradual approach. You cannot go off the deep end. Start running barefoot. Start using barefoot shoes. What happened with me is I did start using barefoot shoes. And then I had some pain on the bottom of my feet. I also got like toe spreaders. The ones I would suggest, I don't have a code or anything, but go to correcttoes.com. Um, I've used a lot of different toe spreaders and these ones are really good, but they'll help you get the space back in between your toes that your feet should have since most people's toes are here. But when I started, um, I, like I would do jump rope, I would walk or whatever in these types of shoes, bottom of my feet would hurt. So I'd go back, I'd wear some of my more cushiony shoes for a little bit of time, let my feet heal and adapt. And then I'd go back to wearing the barefoot shoes again and doing all these activities barefoot. You'll notice over at Super Training, Mark, myself, a lot of, a lot of us don't wear shoes when we work out yeah. because we want our feet to be strong. And it's, it's crazy within the past year, my foot transformation. This is why I like learning from all these amazing guests that we're able to talk with and ask questions to is and this is why you love your job too because we're able to learn so much yeah. 
and we're able to selfishly, honestly, I, I'm able to get the benefit from this and then we share it with people. But the, the my feet, the tendons have gotten thicker, my toe spread is back, I have less pain and discomfort in certain areas of my body. I feel springier because now my feet and toes, like mm. my toes are, I have soreness when doing certain movements in like the arches of my feet mm -hmm. because they're actually activated. Mm. When I was a teenager, the doctor told me I had flat feet. So they gave me orthotics, these special orthotics to put in my cleats to give me an arch. But that artificial arch from those orthotics weren't helping me. They were weakening the arch that I had and they were causing me to have more foot problems. And this is the thing, it's not the doctor's fault. This is this is something that they did for everybody. They're like, you need an arch, slip something in there. Rather than let's develop those weak feet that you've been stuffing in cushioned yeah. shoes over your past decade, yeah. right? So the feet are something that I think like, dog, like if people can fix that, over time, it's not a, something that happens immediately. You, you need to, you know, you need to adjust when you're having certain pain. There are certain things you could do, but if you can develop strong feet, everything up chain becomes easier. You got to remember, it's yeah. the first contact you have with the ground. Yeah. You want that contact to be strong. Mm. Yeah, those orthotics were like a, a drug, basically. Like here's yeah. a let's treat a symptom instead of addressing the root cause. Yeah, I think the yeah. ones I had were called super feet. They're like pretty expensive orthotics, but it's exactly that. And again, it's not their fault. That's what they did with for everyone with flat feet. And I had flat feet, but it's just because my feet weren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. Mm. Now it's, it's really crazy to me. Like when I'm doing lifting or even when I'm sitting around, um, I wear toe socks. <laughs> Have you seen those, those socks that like, <laughs> are individually on your toes yeah okay i know they, they they may look really weird and you people may you could even have on. different colored toes if yeah, you want if you, you want to get super fly you know? absolutely <laughs> but the cool thing that toe socks do is because they're individually wrapping your toes and they aren't your individual toes they increase your proprioceptive awareness of what your toes are doing in space mm -hmm. because oddly enough socks themselves are kind of like shoes yeah. they they cast your foot yeah. and they cast your toes and now your toes are just sitting around but the toe socks help, help like my toes have been moving this whole podcast like they're always doing things because now they're activated and yeah. i'm not thinking about it it's just what my toes are doing because my foot is doing what it's supposed to do so the thing i think about is god if people could just it's it doesn't cost money like you could get yourself any brand of barefoot shoes you want get some toe socks start walking around that's all. I, even if you don't want to go take a run, just jump rope. Let your feet get used to what the ground feels like. It's going to hurt for a little bit, especially if you've been wearing really tight shoes or really cushiony shoes. But if you do that over the next year or two years, the difference that's going to happen with your feet and then the difference that's going to happen with your whole body because of that one thing you fixed, dog, it's wild. Yeah. We need to start, and you're doing it, man, starting a, a foot revolution. You know what I mean? A, a foot volution. <laughs> foot volution. And listen, because you said it, one of the most profound things that you just said was that it, it's your first point of contact. So mm -hmm. it's like this kinetic chain yeah. that goes from your foot to your brain and affecting everything in between. So a lot of knee issues are actually rooted in foot problems. Right? A lot of back issues are yeah. related to foot problems because again, you make contact with the ground the wrong way. You don't understand that you're making contact the right way. Those forces are gonna find somewhere to, to dissipate. And for a lot of people, it's the knees. For a lot of people, it's the lower back. For some people, it's the neck or, you know, it, it, it has to dissipate somewhere. 
And then it's just like, I think about people who are running, like they're like running as an exercise and they're striking the ground in a non-ideal way over and over and over again. It's, uh, it's problematic. All right, now as we move into other parts of our bodies, more aspects of our fitness to remain functional and healthy for a lifetime, I just wanted to reiterate how important it is. And again, these are two premier experts in human health and functionality, and they're both Mark Sisson and Intima talking about the importance of having healthy feet and building our health from the ground up. And that contact, that experience, literally from our brains and our bodies, that contact with the earth, starting with our feet and simple things to do, because again, we're not trying to go zero to a hundred when it comes to like having our shoes off more often, because that's probably going to lead to some pain, potential dysfunction, because many of us, we've conditioned ourselves to be in shoes and tight shoes, pretty much most of our waking hours. And what I'm going to recommend is just to spend more time barefoot. Very simple, you know, especially in a context where you could do that as soon as you get home, for example, kick your shoes off and also your socks too. As Ensema shared, even our socks function as kind of a form of a shoe because they're keeping our toes all bundled up, all right, all together. And so just having some time to have our shoes off and if you can implement a few different things, activities without shoes. And this could be, again, just doing some body weight exercises at home, you know, maybe doing some squats at home, uh, you know, just using your body weight, maybe just getting up every now and then doing 20 squats. Or one of the things that I just did the other day, for example, is I did a bunch of jump rope sets and I had on some kind of minimal shoes, but I finished my workout by kicking my shoes off and doing a couple of jump rope sets. And I've, again, I've worked my way up to it without shoes on, just on the carpet, doing a few jump rope sets and just having that ground contact, letting my feet get oriented with the ground. And so again, just spend more time barefoot, make that a, a mandate and take on some of those other tips that they shared. And you know, when it comes to being able to do some training at home, we've got these great tools that I've just been picking up a tool, you know, just over the years. And now I have this great collection of fitness tools that makes it really incredibly easy for my family and I to do functional training right at home. You know, I don't have to run off to a gym and I love training at a gym, by the way, don't get me wrong. But, you know, even today, for example, time was a little bit tighter. And because I've got these tools, I was able to do some really remarkable functional training at home. And that's all thanks to the equipment from Onnit. I highly recommend you check them out. They're steel clubs, they're steel maces, they're primal kettlebells have been staples in my family's training. We could do literally hundreds of different exercises and train our muscles in unconventional ways that really translate to the real world. We don't see the same types of problems with a function, losing function that a lot of other people see. And I attribute that very greatly to the incredible folks that on it and these remarkable pieces of equipment. And again, you can just pick up a steel mace, for example, you know, they've got a 10 pound, 15 pound, etc. But just grab one piece of equipment, start playing around with it. You're going to find that you really enjoy just picking it up and using it and just add other pieces as you go along. And, you know, even when it comes to my youngest son, since he's I mean, I'm talking about for years, if I'm utilizing, you know, the the primal kettlebells and I'm using the, the orangutan 
or you know the 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 chimp primal kettlebells he'll be using the little howler monkey and doing some of the similar things you know and it's just it's so fun and so cool and he actually one of his projects was to paint them so he painted uh my kettlebells my primal kettlebells and they look so cool and it can be another little cool project for for your family and by the way plus on it is my primary source for post-workout protein as well and so if you're looking for a high quality grass-fed whey or plant-based protein that is actually utilizing science because Onnit has put some of their products through randomized controlled trials, truly, and the quality is just far superior to pretty much anything out there you're gonna find. You're gonna get 10% off of everything when you go to onnit.com forward slash model. That's O-N-N-I-T.com forward slash model. You're getting 10% off store-wide. Head over there and check them out. And by the way, my youngest son, he just turned 12 and he's playing AAU basketball. And some of these practices can be you know, kind of late into the into the day, into the evening. And so he might have to have dinner early at say five o'clock and then, you know, practice is over at maybe sometimes eight thirty, nine o'clock. And I'm not trying to give him, him a big meal, he, nor does he want to eat, but I need to refuel his muscles, provide those building blocks, replenish some glycogen as well. And I'm turning to the protein from on it. Nine times out of 10, that's what he's getting after his training session. And if you see my son and just his progress and the way that he's competing and growing and all these things, it's just, it's crazy. It is it is really, really remarkable to see. And it's not just from my perspective, it's the feedback of, you know, the coaches, the parents, you know, yes, we've got a culture of fitness and movement in my family, but also this nutrition is such a huge part of it. So check them out on it.com forward slash model. That's O-N-N-I-T.com forward slash model. And now moving on to our next expert in this compilation of functional fitness science. This next segment features one of the most renowned fitness and movement experts in the world. In fact, every expert in this compilation has studied her work. She is truly the teacher's teacher. And I'm talking about none other than biomechanist and best-selling author, Katie Bowman. Now, she's gonna be addressing something that can really mess up our plans, mess up our functionality, and that is having neck pain. And it's one of those things that makes everything harder when our neck is not healthy. And it's also one of the things that's growing like wildfire in our society, and you're about to find out why. Plus, you'll learn some simple tips in the words of Wu-Tang Clan to protect your neck. Also, you're going to get a glimpse into what it means to be a chair athlete and much more. Check out this segment from the one and only Katie Bowman. I wanna start off by talking about this new phenomenon in our culture called technique. Technique. And what are the implications that it has for us as a species? Well, I mean, technique is just that curve, that forward curve of the upper back. That is, oh well, yeah, you're looking down, man, you can go anywhere, a restaurant, uh, concert like you can even go to places where you're supposed to be looking at something else you've paid to look at something else and people are looking down at their phone and their upper backs are curved forward and then their necks um, are kind of curved in an opposite direction and that's a human posture I mean we used to see it in people who are a lot older as the result of many decades of the weight of your head being under gravity and slowly curving forward. But now the, what makes it a tech neck is it's a it's being practiced uh, more regularly. 
with the younger generation. Um, mm-hmm. And then you adapt, you adapt, you know, like my big point is always like, you're adapting to everything that you do all the time with mm-hmm. your body. And so this is just a, in the same way, sitting in a chair does a certain thing to your hips and knees. Like we've got this now device doing something to our neck. The one difference is uh, the chair sort of kind of forces you into a 90 degree hip and knees. You can hold your your hand for your device in a lot of different reasons, in a lot of different ways, but we just don't really think of any other, we don't really think at all. We just go to the device and then there's just the resultant posture. So I'm not really sure what it's gonna look like. This is the first generation, like as as much as it seems like tech has been around we can't really live without our smartphones it's like 10 12 year old phenomenon it's not it's not that old and um versus hundreds of thousands of years of humans in this current form that's right that's right or even 40 or even your grandparents you know what i mean like it is sudden onset it's like sudden onset tech neck forward flexion so what I try to outline is, you know, there, you've got swallowing going through there, you've got breathing going through there, you've got the discs in your spine that are affected by that position, the nerves, any tissue really in your upper back and neck, and then you have bone. All of these tissues and processes are in this new environment of tech neck, and we'll see what it looks like, but they're already, you know, different not so much public health, but probably more in the, in the medical community, starting to see more complaints of different things um, that arise with this particular habit and are going, you know, adjust your posture. And there's been a number of articles just talking again, is there a better ergonomics we could have when we're using our phone? Because it seems like using your phone less is maybe off the table, but you could also just put your phone down and do something else. So yeah, it's, um, It'll be interesting to see if the environment of tech neck is start is going to be talked about in the way that we said a uh, sitting is a new smoking. Like I wonder if tech neck is going to have its own own day with headlines such as that. It's like oh it was har- it was more harmful for our body than we knew. Yeah, like being on your phone is the new hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's just it's just because um, we're going to have that muscular development too around this around this kind of movement or form that we're putting ourselves into as an adaptation, I would imagine as well. Well, and I think the challenge, you know, people have been putting their head down to do stuff for a long time. Right, reading, Re- I, I mean, think book, about that. Tech neck is, is book neck, it's knitting neck, it's sewing machine neck, it's woodworking neck, it's working on your car neck. Um, the problem is in the volume, right? Right. Um, it's the number of, of minutes or, you know, dare I even say hours that we're yeah. doing it. And it's also the context in which it's happening, which is we're not really doing anything else with our body. So, so like if your primary exercise program, if you will, is being on your phone, meaning you do that for six or four or eight hours a day. And if you look at even your devices at work versus your actual exercise time, which is like 45 minutes or 60 minutes, like you are exercising tech neck more than you're doing bicep curls or other things with your body. So, in a different environment, looking down so often might not even result in tech neck, right? Because I guess the question is, it's not really clear if tech neck is the position that you're in when you're on your phone, or if it's the adaptation to so much time being on your phone where it's harder to get out of that position. You know, I, I would sit in a chair, my knees and my hips go to a certain 
position. But if I get up out of it, they're not in that position anymore. So what's the big deal? It's in the hours and years and decades in a chair where when you get up out of the chair, you're not really getting all the way up out of the chair. Mm -hmm. You might be upright a little bit, but your pelvis is sort of has adapted to make sitting easy for you by never letting that really get loose, never really letting your spine uncurl all the way. So tech neck could also be thought of as the more permanent remnants of so much of that positioning. And that's going to be the thing that comes back to bite us in the butt. Yeah. As you said, it's only been about a decade that we've been doing this and had this habit. And so to see what this generation, you know, our, our kids, especially, what they're going to look like, you know, their their functionality, their form, their the adaptation from that position. But yeah, it's kind of kind of scary and weird. But at the same time, you are pointing to some potential antidotes or sure. movement nutrients, and one of them is the head ramp. Right, the Can head you ramp. Describe that. Well, I love the head ramp. So, like I said, your your technology does not depend on you being slumped forward to look at it. It works no matter what position you're in. So, one, just know that. Um, the head ramp is the very simple exercise of sliding your head back away from what you're looking at and lifting the top of it up towards the ceiling. So, so if you just grab your phone, you know, for a second or, you know, a mime that is in your hand and look down at it, your head, which is pretty heavy, is out in front of you and tipped forward. So the head ramp is the opposite motion to that. You are bringing it back so that it sits over your shoulders and you are lifting the top of it up towards the ceiling, but without raising your chin. I think a lot of times when your head's down and forward, you think, oh, I'll bring my head up. Mm-hmm. But now you've added a second bend in the in the neck. And so more than just lift your chin to bring your head up, I'm asking you to bring your whole, the whole noggin back to the wall behind you and up towards the ceiling. And that takes care of both curves in the upper back and the neck at the same time. Is there like a physical cue we could think about with our head? Yeah, I mean, if you just touch the top of your head and think of pushing, you know, if you leave your finger there and then push your head up against it, that's a really good Mm. way. Um, If you like to use the wall, uh, you can go up and stand against a wall with your your shoulder blades against the wall, keep your rib cage down, and then try to bring your head back to the wall behind you, and you might find that your neck's tighter, your upper back's tighter than, than you thought. And you could do both at the same time, bring your head to the wall behind you, and then push the finger that's on the top of your head up towards the ceiling, and you're moving in, in two planes mm. at the same time. Mm. And you <clears throat> detail this wonderfully, and there's so many cool, like, visual cues and physical cues for us. And since reading your book, Rethink Your Position, pick up a copy today. <laughs> um, I've been doing these things, even today I was on a stationary bike and I thought like I now, because I'm aware of it, right. I think about what is my head position. Mm-hmm. And again, there are gonna be certain positions that we're in that are, it's not gonna be quote perfect, no. but we can get ourselves in a more ideal position. And also that's that's a movement input that it's gonna be balanced by other things versus, like you said, historically people are you know, sewing, woodworking, you know, um, reading, but then there was a much more movement rich environment outside of that. Sure. Now we're spending hours upon hours on our devices like this with a very low movement input culture mm-hmm. on top of that. 
And so having some simple remedies like this are important. And the other one that I've been adding to the mix is the chicken head. And as soon as, <laughs> as soon as I read that part, I'm like, what is she getting into ch with the chicken? Because from where I'm from, chicken head means something else. I don't know. If you I know don't even like, know what it is, but I, should yeah. I look it up or not? You no, know, it's just like a kind of a, you know, it's a, it's a hood, it's a hood okay. chick. Okay. Know? Yeah. So. A, ch a chicken head. All right. Yeah. Chicken, chicken. Shout out to Project Pat. Anyways, but chicken head, your definition in here is something different and incorporates some really interesting movements that just makes you feel better. Yeah, well, mine's based on just having chickens. Um, and chickens have this, you, if you ever pick up a chicken, you can move a chicken around, mm -hmm. but its head stays still and they have tremendous neck mobility. Um, and so, yeah, it's this idea of taking yourself more regularly through your next range of motions. And so like what all the things that chickens do, you know, they, the main one is they move their head forward and back. So our heads are forward, but there's a balancing move to that and that's sliding it back. And then there's just the idea of stretching your neck to the right and to the left. And of course, turning to the right and to the left and dropping your right ear and the left ear. And then of course there's sliding your ears to the right and to the left. And all of these are movements that you would want to happen between your head and shoulders. But we don't have really very much that's facilitating these movements any longer. And then combined with the phone, now we've got something that's facil facilitating one neck position over and over and over again. So chicken head is this invitation to explore eight more neck motions to balance out maybe the one that you're overdoing or like when we talk about movement nutrients the one movement nutrient you're over consuming you're overeating forward head so now we need to get um, these other neck motions into your movement diet and then just like all nutrients you're you're better for it you feel better for it yeah please i i want everybody to really listen to this because we don't think about these things until the problem occurs right, right? and a lot of folks are dealing with random neck issues, if you're not giving these inputs in controlled things, situations that you can actually have some input and like put yourself in these dynamic positions so that when it comes to a situation where your neck is moved suddenly or you do a certain thing, like your neck has been there before. It has a little bit of a, mm -hmm. of a memory of being in a, a different position, but oftentimes we're just kind of stuck in a certain position for most of the day. And so giving us these movement cues and these inputs is super helpful, especially now. Yeah, it's about resiliency in the end. Um, our culture doesn't really require much movement. You know, there's not a lot of movement demanded out of us on a day-to-day -day basis. And so we can do well in society without moving. But biologically, we stop doing as well, which eventually can triggered you know it can trickle down to how well you feel you're being able to perform in in society and that means even like showing up for relationships right when you're in chronic pain yeah. it's hard to show up for other people when you're sort of nursing yourself in your head it's it's hard to be in pain and engage outwardly because you're doing uh you're using a tremendous amount of energy and focus on coping and so resiliency i don't only mean physical resiliency i just mean um the ability to engage in something that suddenly comes up and that can be we usually talk about accidents like you trip on something you're in an unexpected situation that moves your body differently that it doesn't uh do tremendous harm uh, illnesses 
come up, life comes up, deaths come up, um, other problems. And when you have, when you're more physically resilient in this way, when you move more of your parts, you can respond to that trauma, whether it's an accident, um, even something like a car accident, right? Like even something that is large, you aren't taking like the stiffest, least um, mobile version of yourself to everything else that you do. So like that's, it's a little bit different than a fitness uh, reasoning for exercise. It's certainly, it's not mutually exclusive. Like it, it has all the fitness benefits too. But I think as we see fewer people be interested in moving their bodies, trying to talk about it in a different way of just getting more out of your daily life um, is how I, is how I want to frame it how I want to frame it now, which is why we got to move our necks like a chicken sometimes. <laughs> you mentioned this a little bit earlier about even sitting in a chair. Mm -hmm. we're, we're never just really sitting there. You know, we're no. still being moved. We're, we're mm -hmm. moved in a certain position and we're adapting to that. Our bodies are trying to become efficient at the things that we are exposed to, I believe, probably most often, mm -hmm. you know. And can you expand on that a little bit more because when we have a body that's very good at chair sitting, it m might be, and I'm saying this sarcastically, it might be compromising your ability to do other things, right? So if you go from that sitting yeah. position, sitting in a chair for whatever, eight, 10 hours a day, and that's not far-fetched by the way for, for most of us, and then you, know, you suddenly wanna go to Disneyland you know, with your family and you find like, wait a minute, I'm not really physically equipped to do this thing without mm -hmm. pain or potential injury. And I, that's what I've been trying to get across, I would say throughout my entire career is like, we, we definitely have this idea of like, I'm in shape, I'm out of shape, I'm fit, I'm unfit, I'm moving and I'm not moving. It's more accurate to say that you're actually always moving. You're always moving. And you're always adapting to the movement that you are doing. This is chair movement that I'm doing right now. And so if you could add like a dash movement to everything, this is bike movement that I'm doing right now. These are driving movements. These are office movements. This is shopping movement. So if you start thinking about my body is responding to what I'm doing right now, and then you pair that with, with a tenet of just exercise science, which is, you adapt to what you do most frequently. We're all sort of, I've said this before, we're like the ninjas of sitting, we're chair athletes. And in athletes, like if you think about athletics, like really good athletes have specialized in their sport and they've adapted their anatomy and their physiology Sometimes, you know, growing, they've grown more muscle mass, they've grown more capillaries. Sometimes they've twisted, there's been twists, you know, professional baseball pitchers will have actual bone formations that they have created through the way that they are playing that makes throwing easier on their body to a certain point. We are chair athletes. We are just really great at sitting. And one of the reasons we have a hard time doing other things is because we are the best at this physically. We have the anatomy. We have made the anatomical adaptations for this. To do other things would require more capillaries, more range of motion. And so when you're like, oh man, I really wanna just start moving more, just realize that that's what you're working 
uphill against is just you have chair anatomy right now you want to figure out whatever it is that you want to do you want to do this you want to maybe you want to go on a backpacking trip or maybe you want to there's like a cool hike in your town that you would like to do or maybe it's you would like to be able to go to Disneyland but you know it's a physical event it's Disneyland movement what does it entail seven hours of being on my feet you know like break everything down into the movement that it entails remove all the judgment about where you are right now and how hard it's going to be and then you're like i need the i need to start training the anatomy to be able to do that thing and then it's like okay well i'm using the back of my chair right now as i'm talking to you maybe i'm gonna still sit with my hips but i'm gonna change my torso sitting anatomy so i'm holding myself a little bit more because when i'm standing at disneyland my torso is going to have to do that. I don't even have to get out of my chair. I can still work. I can still watch Netflix. I can still do this podcast with you, but I can also use more of my musculature to hold me up right now. And once you start thinking about it that way, it's like, yeah, I just have too much chair anatomy. I want whatever other anatomy. And then you start picking the body parts or the break the final thing that you want to do into the movements that it entails. I have to put something on my back. I have to carry something in my arms. I need my shoulder to be able to stretch this way. And that becomes your training program. I hope that you're enjoying this functional fitness compilation. And we're at our final segment. And this one is power packed. It's one of my favorite conversations that I've had recently. And also, before we get to that, I want you to keep in mind, there's a revolution going on right now when it comes to building and maintaining, protecting our muscle tissue. There's so much science coming forward and keeping in mind the importance of protein because it truly is the building blocks. These amino acids are required to build our tissues, even our hormones that keep all of our cells in communication. They're made from proteins, our neurotransmitters. It's so important and it's not being overlooked anymore. If you're in leading edge, fitness and nutrition, you understand this. And with that being said, there is a move away from these junk protein bars that are really kind of glorified candy bars when we're looking for high quality proteins and people are moving more towards real food and real food adjacent snacks, things that have been utilized literally for centuries. And so for me and also for my guys here at the studio, for my family, if we're looking at high quality protein snacks, and even, you know, if we are short on time, if I'm traveling, if I'm going to some of my son's games, or I've got, you know, a road trip, whatever the case might be, we're bringing along the real food, superfood protein bars from Paleo Valley, and also their grass-fed regenerative farm meat sticks as well. So moving away from all the junk food protein bars and meat sticks out there, that have all of these synthetic ingredients that are simply not good for our bodies, this is where we're getting our snacks from. And I highly encourage you to check them out. They're giving you 15% off exclusively if you go to paleovalley.com forward slash model. That's P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com forward slash model. Check out their superfood protein bars their grass-fed meat sticks, and also they have some of the highest quality supplements in the world. All organic, no additives, preservatives, fillers, binders, none of that crazy stuff. I'm a huge, huge fan of Paleo Valley and what they stand for, the integrity of their people as well. They're just really, really good people. So stock up, grab you some snacks, utilize these things for your kids, for road trips, 
And again, go to paleovalley.com forward slash model for 15% off store wide. And now in our final segment, you're going to hear from not one, but two world-class experts in human movement who happen to be married to each other. And I'm talking about Juliet Starrett and Dr. Kelly Starrett. Not only are they both high-level athletes who we're talking about national championship competition, those kind of things, but then kind of evolving their careers into being coaches and supporting so many different athletes in different domains, whether it's track and field, whether it's football, whether it's weightlifting, they're really about that life. They have a wealth of knowledge and they were also sharing they just both celebrated their 50 year birthdays. And so this is a hundred years of wisdom. All right, this is a century of wisdom packed into this segment. And they're gonna be sharing some huge insights about movement when you're not moving i.e. when you're sitting and these insights are game changers. They're also going to be sharing some insights about your booty. They're going to talk about our buns as well and how does this play into a lot of the things that we want to do in our lives. And plus, they're going to be sharing the most important movement medicine that we all need. Check out this segment from Juliet Starrett and Dr. Kelly Starrett. We started the book, that's chapter one. We started that for a reason, um, in part because we love the test that's associated with it. And the test that's associated with that chapter is you just get up and down off the floor without putting your hands in. Crisscross applesauce. Crisscross applesauce. Um, and and the, the backstory on that test is there was a, a study done some years ago that people who could get up and down off the floor without putting their hands down lived longer. Um, and 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 lived better and lived better which i think is what we're all really looking for and so so um what we realized is that people don't sit on the ground enough in our culture we're always chair bound we're you know driving commuting sitting in chairs at our offices um, our whole environment is set up to be sitting in chairs all the time um, and so we've literally lost the ability to both get up and down off the ground and sit comfortably on the floor. I mean, it's really interesting when we suggest to people like, oh, okay, well, you need to start this test by being crisscross applesauce. And a lot of people go, crisscross applesauce? What? I can't sit like that. Mm. Um, and so it's it's just an ability that we've really lost that's so fundamental as humans. Yeah. And you know what we've recommended to people is that they just had more sitting on the floor while they're watching Netflix, which is something that we know everybody's doing at least three hours of a day. Um, and so we just think it's so fundamental as a human to be able to get up and down off the ground. Um, and, and also it makes us more durable. And I think the word we like, and we're fans of all things longevity, and obviously this book is connected to that, but I think the word we prefer is durability mm -hmm. because really Kelly and I don't care if we live to be 100, we want to, live as long as we live but feel good for as long as possible and then just like fall off a cliff and die that's our goal like we just kind of want to be like this and yeah. then fall off the cliff and die and feel as good as we can and live independently and be able to move with our body and hopefully keep our mental acuity that's really our goal and to us that's more durability because if that means we live to be 85 or 90 like great we would rather feel good and then just fall off the cliff um so i think that sitting on the ground thing is so fundamental to this book and 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 seems so straightforward but really is strangely revolutionary since we never do it when i saw the going off the cliff i pictured you both your faces on some lemming bodies and going off that cliff happily we're like this 
Go ahead, put your hand on. There we go. <laughs> Chill, be driving. Listen, this is so simple, but you know, and I actually want to share this. I noted this. You just mentioned the study. This was published in the European Journal of Preventive Cardiology, and they revealed that this simple act, this simple test, was correlated with how long people lived. And you also share because if it's a concern of being able to sit cross leg on the floor, you share a variety of mobilization exercises throughout the book, and in particular in this chapter and habits that we can use to improve performance on this particular test. And just to share with you guys, I had my 11-year-old son do it, which you would see him and think, oh, this kid isn't flexible. He did it easily, like easily. easily. Yeah. For me, it wasn't super easy. I could do it, but it wasn't just like as You felt a little creaking graceful. as you were standing up. <laughs> I mean, just to see how it was like he's, you know, like it was like he was flying, just the way he did it so easily. But you mentioned, you talk about these mobilizations, 90-90 sitting, cross-leg sitting in and of itself, leg up, one leg up sitting, hip opener exercises. Can you talk about some of these things? The first order of business for anything is to do the thing you wanna get better at. <clears throat> not a correlate, not a test for it. Yeah. So this first opening chapter is a little sneaky because what we do is we get people in with a, something that they can wrap their heads around, right? Which is, I should be able to do this. I watch kids do it, sitting on the ground. And quickly you're confronted with, wow, I really struggled with that, or that was harder than I thought. Mm. And it's a nice test because it illuminates this idea that, hey, we're not interested in gymnast level mobility. We're interested in the this, this central idea of can you move and own your way through your world? What is it you wanna do? And a lot of times, because the body's so durable and because our world is shaped a certain specific way, we're not really confronted with limitations until you go to yoga and you're like, wow, I can't do that. Or I wanna learn new skill and that was really challenging. I can't put my arms over my head and we're going climbing today. So one of the things that we try to do with this book is create this language of vital signs. Because you're not gonna die tomorrow if you can't get up off the ground, that's not what it is. But it helps you begin to establish some benchmarks around how you move and some of your other behaviors. And what we, the follow-up to that is, the first order of business to get better at this is to sit on the ground. Right, and we're realizing that instead of applying some fancy tool or here's our 10 day optimized sit on the ground program, we're in front of the TV, let's see if we can work this into your life where we can begin to work on your hip range motion in the background. The mobilizations in there are something we call position transfer exercises. They're just sneaky ways to give you a window of opportunity so that you can move more freely. And in this situation, the expression of mid-range hip range of motion inflection is getting up and down off the ground so we've got some tools in there to help you restore those positions but the first thing is knowing that hey that was a little bit trickier than I thought maybe I should spend some more time doing it or B I crush that don't need to worry about it because I sit on the ground all the time and you know I'm a yogi and my hip range of motion is good yeah. well and also some of those positions you mentioned like 90 90 sitting and long sit you know for most people who don't spend a lot of time sitting on the floor they will naturally need to change positions yep. for most people yeah. sitting cross-legged for an hour is like not possible like you know most of us who have spent a lot of time sitting it's just not possible or comfortable to sit that long so so the cool thing is your body will actually kind of give you these cues to move and you're right. like all right well i'm no longer co comfortable sitting cross-legged so i'm going to move to 90 90 or i'm going to move to long sit and if you just 
just watch someone sort of practice sitting on the ground, it's actually subconscious. You naturally just move from position to position. And so without even thinking about it, you're getting all this work on your hip range of motion. And it's it's most of it is just subconscious. And the only real conscious thing you've done is decide to sit on the floor versus sit on the couch. Let's talk specifically about chair sitting as we're sitting in chairs, hanging out with each other which you said this term that I just is just burned into my mind now, marathon sitting, right? So we spend an insane amount of time in our culture just sitting in a chair. Sure. What's happening in our bodies, like our biomechanics, when we spend a lot of time sitting in a chair? Well, I'll just start by saying, Kelly can talk about the specifics, but I'll start by saying, just to sort of define marathon sitting, you know, I, I think what we've learned with the research is that if you sit for short periods of time and get up and continue moving fine. around and sit back down, that's actually completely fine. Like we, we've we never set out to demonize sitting and sitting's awesome and we do plenty of it. But what you do see is people are sitting in a chair and often doing that for five, six, eight, longer you know even longer sometimes without actually moving at all um and you know kelly's obsessed with the lymphatic system which is basically the sewage Isn't system every of the body. middle-aged man and and so one of the things that happens when we sit is that you know the way that you clear your lymphatic system you clear the waste out of your body is through movement so specifically you know, muscle control one of the things we like to talk about is like have you ever been on a flight and then you get to wherever you're going and you have cankles have you ever gotten cankles? I can't say that I have, but I've seen them. I've seen okay. them on the streets. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I've, yeah. I've read about you, you've it. Seen read about you've seen cankles. You've seen cankles. But, you know, that that's just a function of sitting in, in an airplane and not moving enough for long periods of time. Like sitting on a five or six hour flight is like the perfect example of marathon sitting. Yeah. And one of the downstream negative consequences is that you're not moving and you're not flushing your system. You're not getting, you know, you're not getting the garbage out of your body. And, um, and you know, it's, it's just, and then the other thing I'll say, and Kelly can talk about the technical terms about this, but I mean, then you're sitting all the time with all of your joints at 90 degree angles. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're not meant to be at 90 degree angles with our joints all the time. And so I think a lot of people don't make the connection between low back pain and general stiffness and other issues they have um, with just bouts of marathon sitting. And what you start to play around with is, there's a whole new field called sedentary biology, where we're starting to understand a little bit about what happens to our physiology, our normal processing of our bodies when we don't move. So we can define, not sitting versus standing, but we can define sedentary behavior in a very scientific and very specific way. If you ever remember the old uh, Stairmaster machines from like the 90s, I love or those two, early 2000s, for those of you out there, or from the nice, that was me. there was a metric on there that you could use, which was METS. Do you remember METS? And you'd be like, I don't know how many METS is, but I'm killing the MET game right now, right? You just <laughs> jack it up, all the METS. That's a metabolic equivalent. That's how much energy it takes kind of for a human being to run. And so what we they have defined at Harvard as sedentary behavior is falling below one and a half metabolic equivalents. And it turns out sitting immediately really starts to truncate how much energy we're using. So we fall below that one and a half metabolic equivalents, and then our physiology starts to get weird. We start not being able to burn sugar, and we start to do things strangely, and things are, are not moving and working as well as I can. So really, it's not ever, ever about sitting versus standing. It's about, not hey, moving. how do I limit this below one and a half metabolic equivalents? So again, man, 
if you're exhausted, sit down, it feels so good to take it off. But maybe you could get more movement in. And what we, the research is, is defined is, let's try to limit and aggregate that total amount of time below one and a half metabolic equivalents to six hours. So you have sort of six hours of, of coins you can put into whatever machine you want. This is my commute, this is my dinner time, this is hanging out. And maybe we can try to limit that because it really makes it more difficult for us to do the things we want to do. Hey, I want to have a, I want to change my body composition. Well, that's going to make that more difficult. I want to be more awesome at sprinting. Well, that's going to make that more difficult. I want to have healthier tissues. You know, I want to have more clarity in my brain. It makes that more difficult. So again, that allows us to expand. And when we empower people with that idea, say, hey, wow, I really been sitting a long time. Let me see if I can limit that in whatever way I want. So can we talk about this interaction with the chair itself mm. pressing up against, or us, our, our, our weight pressing up against the chair and the intermingling going on with our hamstrings versus when we're being a little bit more, dare I say, natural sitting on the floor? I, I'm just gonna cue you up to say panini. Panini. And then you take it away. <laughs> we'll do a couple experiments here. One is <laughs> your butt and hamstrings are actually non-weight-bearing surfaces. If you actually sit on the ground, you're sitting on your ischial tuberosities. The bottom of your pelvis is kind of bony and set up for it, right? And when we're sitting in the chair, we're not actually sitting on the bony structures of our pelvis, we're sitting on all the soft tissue structures. So if you imagine high pressure, I'm like 106 kilos, I weigh, you know, my temperature is a certain amount. That's how you make panini, high pressure, high temperature. I mean, you get grilled cheese. So if you're worried about your hamstring range of motion, maybe you shouldn't make grilled cheese sandwiches out of your hamstrings. We could also do another experiment. I have said this in a long, long time, but bear with me. Think of the most beautiful person you could think of. Got it in your head? Got it. Like for me, like like Chris Pine and and Chris Hemsworth <laughs> have a baby and that baby boy grows up to marry Brad Pitt and they have a baby, right? You can see like that's a beautiful what about person. Kate? Kate Kate's in there too. And if you think of that person's butt, what does it look like? Wow. It's gorgeous, right? <laughs> Now think about your palm of your hand. Yeah. And your hand is a weight-bearing surface and it's the connective tissue is gnarly. And now think if that butt of that person looked like the palm of your hand. Mm. It is not. So what you're seeing is we have certain areas of the body that are really good at weight-bearing, like your feet, your hands, these sit bones. And then we have areas that aren't. It's such a problem when people sit for a long time, like the Aerilon chair, right? That really expensive chair by Herman Miller. They invented that chair working with people who were in wheelchairs who had diabetic ulcers. So what was happening was that people would get these pressure ulcers when they had to sit in a wheelchair for a long period of time. So they invented this fabric that allowed to unload the connective tissue. Well, that's a small scale model of us all the time, sitting on tissues, they're not getting good blood flow, we're not pumping the garbage out. Do you need to be worried about it? I'm, I'm making this doom and gloom, but that's just some a snapshot of sort of hey long long periods of time that's probably not great then you add in we're not really having access to all the mechanisms that stabilize our spines so we can't really connect your pelvis to your hips very well we can't use your glutes we can't use the rotators we can't stabilize so you end up using a whole bunch of other things yeah. to keep yourself upright and that's fine until you go stand up and then when you realize you, you're like, oh my, get out of that chair and you're a little creaky, that's your body not really just immediately giving you access to your full range of motion. 
There's a quote from your book. It says, once you start sitting on the floor and standing more, you'll find that it not only feels natural, but that you'll crave it. And when I read that, I was like, that is my exact experience. My body tells me I'm craving. I was just sitting with my wife last night and you've got like a sectional couch that latches together. She's got her area. My, my youngest son calls it the queendom spot. Yes, yes. Right? And so I have to ask permission to come sit by her over here because it's just a thing. And so I'm sitting there and she's coming to kind of get in the nook on my on my left side and she's laying there for a bit. And the reason she doesn't like to get comfortable in that because she knows I'm gonna get up. And so after a certain amount of time, I just felt my body just like, go sit on the floor. What are you doing? Go sit on the floor. And also one of the things that starts to happen, which because I was talking to you guys today, is the first time I'm saying the words out loud. While we were sitting there, you know, watching whatever show it was, maybe like five, 10 minutes into it, my leg starts doing this. Like my legs just starts bouncing up and down. And I don't know that I'm doing it, but all of a sudden she grabs my leg and like silences my leg. And I felt like, get your hands off you me. Can't you can't continue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, I need to move. <laughs> She's like, stop. I'm like, babe, I'm just expressing myself. I said something, <laughs> you know? But I knew what it was, just like I wanted to, to move. I wanted to change positions, but she was comfortable and you know, the whole thing. And so literally, once you start getting these movement inputs, your body starts to crave them, it'll tell you but the, there's something really seductive about sitting in a chair where a lot of stuff starts turning off. And, Perfect. That's you know, what we should be doing. Let's sit down to turn stuff off. That's great. Exactly Th right. That's the right time and application. I've been on my feet all day. It's time to change gears. I need to relax. What's that look like? As a as a kind of conscious strategy. Well, and I think you know you sh like one of the ways I know that I've shifted over into that crave way is that you know way back in the day I used to be able to sit on a flight and I, I mean I, I didn't find it to be comfortable but I, I wasn't dying and now I'm dying on a flight. Is that because like, you have OCS? I might have OCS, but I mean I just I but while I'm sitting there, it's not about it's not that I'm physically uncomfortable sitting. It's that I literally want to jump out of the chair and move yeah. around. Yeah. Um. And and I struggle with that and in a way I think that's a positive thing because you become me, an 11 year old boy that to me that tells me that I've shifted over to to that exact thing we talked about in the book which is really craving wanting to keep moving moving my body into different yeah. positions and, and ultimately that's the goal and I think people listening to this actually can get to that place. I mean, I think maybe people will think, well, look at those are the fitness guys. And of course they crave movement or something, you know, but, but I mean, I think it's really possible for people to practice some of these things, practice sitting on the ground, practice standing a little more at the office, standing a little more throughout the day. And then I really do think your body starts to really crave that feeling. And then that's when, you know, you've won. You also dedicate a vital sign to hip extension, which, We'll save that. I want to make sure everybody picks up a copy because it was kind of like one of those things where if you got if you're pulling my leg on what is most important, which you you set it up saying there's nothing that's more important than anything else when it comes to mobility, but hip extension is super important. But I I want people to read that chapter. But in it you have a sidebar about the booty, all right? And I think it's titled like the rear view, right? And you mentioned something along the lines of our butts are sleepy. All right, our, our butt cheeks are, are sleeping on the job <laughs> and you kind of give a, a, a command or a cue for us to check in with our butt through the day and fire. Those, we can do it right now. Right, I just want to. Can I just interject and say that if, like, your butt. if Kelly, if Kelly's name had a subtitle, it would be Kelly Styrett, hip extension. Mm. 
because he's really excited. About I may it or may days. not also own already on Instagram knees behind butt guy. <laughs> Trying to get you into hip extension. Look, what you're hinting at is a really interesting phenomenon where, you know, if you lose connection or we're not using it, we can see decrease in function around muscles and, and movements more importantly. And this hip extension chapter, one of the things that happens when we lose the ability to get into a lunge shape. So walking is a little mini lunge shape. A big lunge, formal lunge, is a big extended version of that. If you've ever like seen running someone, is like a mid lunge. Yeah, yeah. And if you've ever seen someone sprint, that is lunging, lunge form, that hip extension. And one of the things we see is if you cannot get into that position for whatever reason, we don't know if it's your hips are stiff, or your quad stiff, you don't never there. But if you can't get in that position, oftentimes what we see is you can't also squeeze your butt as effectively. And in fact, in that position particularly, your glutes become very difficult to find. We call it positional inhibition, which means I'm in this position and it's my inability to be strong in this position that has shut my butt off or my ability to recruit that glute squeeze. And what we know is that when we start reconnecting the dots for people, things like low back pain starts to get better, right? We got a big engine starting to help me manage that a little bit. When we start to see people working on their hip extension, guess what? Your knees have to work when your legs behind your body. And because we spend so much time not in that position, we see that it's a ends up being a blind spot for a lot of people. We have a, a couple new products on the market that were tools for us. And one of them is a Bulgarian split squat pad. So if you've ever done a Bulgarian split squat, it's where you basically get into a lunge shape and then you go up and down. And it is gnarly. No one likes but to do it. But your rear foot is elevated. Rear foot is elevated. A rear foot elevated split squat. But it is such a good movement. And again, no one likes to do them. Why? Because that's a position we suck. Meanwhile, we also made this thing for better booty thrusts or hip thrusts. You lay down on the bar, you can just do this beautiful hip thrust. It's, I'm so proud of this thing. It sells 10 to one, why? Because everyone loves the booty thrust because you can feel your booty. Guess who loves to get into the split lunge position? Zero people. Well, it's like, people I, I made like, here's some really toxic, gnarly vegetables that are really good for you, eat those. Like no one wants those. Like give me the cookies, I want the booty, I want the well, hip flexion. Back to the movement rich environment and standing a little bit though, I mean, you know, we do actually talk about just like being conscious of squeezing your butt throughout the day. Yeah. Um, and you can do that while you're standing. So, you know, it's, it's it, again, it's actually for me become something that's subconscious, but I'm always playing with my foot position, squeezing my butt throughout the day when I'm standing. And then, you know, obviously when I get tired, I will take a seat, but you know, it's just, being conscious of making sure to keep those things active and going and you know aware that the 90 degree angle is not great let me ask you this when you exercise do you do it first thing in the morning or do you work in and around all the other day job you have it's in the morning not first thing but it's definitely in the early part of the day one of the things that we see if you have a movement if you change your environment to be more conducive to moving more is that you're more able to be warmed up for your workout. So if you work out at lunch and you've been sitting all day, it's gonna take you a little while to get all the lights on in the house, get the diesel running and warmed up. But if you've been moving more, squeezing your butt, working on your balance, changing position, fidgeting, you're gonna be able to slip right into that quick 30 minute Peloton, that, that, that hour long CrossFit class, whatever it is you wanna do, you'll find that you can be better prepared more quickly. And then on the other side of that, 
we see that you can continue to decongest and you don't have to do as long a warm down because you're constantly moving versus if you want to feel the recipe for getting old, do some gnarly, gnarly workout, then sit in a chair for an hour. And let me tell you how you feel when you wake up. When you stand up from that, you're going to feel terrible. One of my favorite sections of the book is when you're talking about the importance of walking. It's called Walk This Way. Shout out to Aerosmith. I don't know if that was on, pur on purpose. It was. Okay. Shout out. Of course. Showing our age. <laughs> and so you, you, you detailed how the amount of steps that you actually take each day is deeply connected to our lifespan. And we often don't think about this, you know, because we, quote, work out, that that is not set aside in a sense because we're probably going to be walking around, moving around while we're working out, but that doesn't insulate you for your body's requirement, your DNA's requirement for you to actually walk and to put these steps in. So when we opened the gym in 2005, when I went to physio school, I was like, we're going to, we're going to corner the world on walking. We're going to make walk. That so was sexy. not, that was not what I wanted to be so, known for. It's a hard sell. But we've now, you know, we've now become obsessed with walking um, for a variety of reasons. I mean, you, you hit on it a little bit. There are eight, you know, I, I will go back and say that the 10,000 steps concept was invented by a Japanese pedometer company in the 60s. And 10,000 is an auspicious number in Japan. Maybe last 10,000 years. When you shout bonsai, that's 10,000 years. When you So you can see why that marketing worked really well because we were capturing this magical number but what's happened since then, though, is there has been a ton of research that has filled that in and shown that basically the more steps you take a day, the longer you will live and the fewer chronic illnesses you will suffer. That means I just always need to max out my steps or is there a no. minimum? Uh, you know, the minimum we say is 8,000. Um, the reason we say that is that the average American gets about 3,000 steps. And we've also read that it's actually possible for people to get up to 8,000 steps. Um, anything above 8,000 is like gold. That's great. Like if you if you have a life that allows you to be able to walk 16,000 steps a day, like more power to you, that's, that's definitely going to help your longevity. Um, but, you know, there's so many other things about walking that are so awesome. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about the lymphatic system and about how walking is the perfect way to recover from workouts. And, you know, it's the first thing that we suggest people do who come to us, who come to us with low back pain or post-surgical, because, you know, the, the best thing you can do post-surgery is just to walk and just keep everything, you know, get the garbage out of your body. But there's all these other sort of like fluffier things about walking that we like so much. I mean, we talked about this earlier. Everybody's talking about it online, but you need to get a little bit of sunlight on your body. Sometimes you need to get a little direct sun. Um, one of the best ways to do that is to- Model Health Show says. The model, the model Health Show says Hello. you need to get some sun on your body. So you, you know, it has a side benefit of you get some sun on your body. It can also be really social because what we learn in the pandemic is how lonely people are um, and how, how depressed and kids aren't doing well from a mental health standpoint. People are feeling, even though we're more and more connected online, people are feeling more and more disconnected. And so walking is the perfect way to just have simple connection with people. And so it's just this like moment. You can be like this. What's up? I hate that guy. <laughs> but he's my neighbor. What's up? I now live in a community. And, and we're guy. fine. You know, we're fine if you treadmill walk. Like if it's, you know, if you live in Buffalo, New York, you need to walk on a treadmill in the, in the winter. That's totally fine. Or walk but in the mall. Walk in the mall. Exactly. Right. I mean, it, you know, there's a lot of empty malls out there you can walk in. It doesn't matter. Even if it's just walking around the block. I mean, one of the things I've done is I've figured out like five places in my neighborhood that are little routes that are just leaving from my front door, walking around the neighborhood. And it's like, I know from my house to the end of the block, it's 1,750 steps. If I go from my house down the 
this little mini loop, it's 3,000 steps. And so, you know, if, if I just need to fit in some walking, I've sort of set it up for myself. And, you know, you get your hip into extension. Speaking of Kelly's obsession with hip, hip extension, it's good for the soul. It's good for check, the community. Check this out. We were working with uh, an elite military force in the army called Delta. And when they have a lot of disordered sleep, and they do, one of the things that they started prescribing for all of their soldiers and warfighters was walking. walking. So you have all the technology in the world available to you. And the thing that's handed out is walking 12 to 15,000 steps a day. Mm. So if you're listening to this, hear this. If you have a hard time falling asleep or sleeping, one of the ways that we would help you with that is say, hey, let's see if we can get you to move more in the day, to accumulate enough non-exercise activity that you actually have sleep stress, so that or it's actually called sleep pressure, so that you actually wanna go to sleep. You actually have to move more in order to be fatigued enough. And if you've been on deadlines and you're sitting and you're in board meetings, you can't move and you're on Zoom and you have a hard time falling asleep, one of the reasons is you didn't move. So as Juliet says, it's one of these things that makes a huge, huge difference on so many levels. And for us, again, we're like sort of obsessed with performance. And one of the things we notice when we give this this book to our athlete friends, like world champion friends are like, wow, I don't walk enough. And when I started walking, my knees felt better. I recovered from my, my workouts more better. effectively. Zone two, we also found that the walking is a perfect time to do all these crazy breath drills. Mm. You can do all the eye movement tracking stuff you want. You could just call checking out your neighbors, right? Where you just, your eyes track, you can look far, you can look close. Yeah. You can start doing breath holds. There's so many ways where you can turn that thing up and make it interesting. Plus, we have so many friends who are like, I'm not running. Over my dead body, I'm ever running. And we're like, great, have you met the backpack that weighs 10 pounds? Mm -hmm. And suddenly you have a really and meaningful way to load your spine and load your tissues. It's called rucking. Welcome to walking, it is the future. Well, and I think one of the things we have done a good job of in the health and fitness business is tell people they should exercise. And Nailed they are. It. They're spending trillions of dollars on gym memberships and apps and, you know, you name it. And, and but that's not working. Like the data has out, like we, we, you know, people really didn't go to the gym that much until starting in the early 90s. Like it just, gym culture wasn't a thing. And we've all been now going to the gym and following the rule that we should exercise for X amount of time a day and X amount of time per week. And what we see is that obesity rates are rising and diabetes rates are rising. And, you know, it's not, that alone isn't working. So we, of course, are gigantic fans of exercise. Like we're exercisers, we love exercise. But what we see is that people aren't getting enough total movement in their day and it has all these unintended downstream consequences your body doesn't feel as good you can't move as freely you potentially don't sleep as well and and you know there are lots of other ways to get non-exercise activity like that could be gardening there's lots of ways to keep moving more besides just walking but what we found is that's the simple and most accessible way for people to just add in more movement in their day thank you so much for tuning into this episode i hope that you got a lot of value out of this and if you did, please share this out with your friends and family. This is so important for our families, for our communities to have this education, to maintain their ability to move, to take care of themselves, to do the things that we want to do, to do the things that give our lives real meaning. We need this education because we have a society that is training us to do the opposite, to do things that break us down prematurely. And 
depress and suppress our ability to live our lives to the fullest. So share this out with the people that you care about. You can send this directly through the podcast app that you're listening on. And of course, you could share this out on social media with your followers. You could take a screenshot of the episode and put in your IG story. Of course, you could tag me. I'm at Sean Model on Instagram. And wherever else you feel inspired to share it, please share it up because sharing is caring. We've got some epic masterclasses and world-class guests coming your way very, very soon. So be sure to stay tuned. Take care, have an amazing day, and I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you've got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.